Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast series on impact, talking with entrepreneurs and organizational leaders who contribute to building a more cooperative and positive future. I'm Ursula York, the host of this series. I'm a mentor to business people who want to have a positive effect on the world around them, building strong businesses by creating value for their clients team members, and the larger world. I am so passionate about sharing with you the stories of entrepreneurs and leaders who have impact, their inspiring and energizing role models. I hope you use what you learn here to be inspired about what you can do in your business and beyond. For ongoing inspiration and support to get clear on your impact and put it into action, enter your name and email at workalchemy.com. Today's guest in this podcast series on impact is Sarah Seidelman. Sarah Bamford Seidelman is a fourth-generation physician turned shamanic healer and life coach who deeply enjoys shenanigans. She's been a frequent guest blogger on Maria Shriver's site for Architects of Change and has led sold-out retreats combining surfing and shamanism in Hawaii and a sacred pachydermal pilgrimage to Thailand. She loves to help others find their own feel-good so they can live courageously and enthusiastically. So well Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. I'm delighted to have you here. Thank you, Ursula. I'm excited to be here too. So one of the things that I I saw pop up on your website, and you were you're kind enough to share with me your upcoming book, Swimming with Elephants, and you mentioned it in there. This question: How good are you willing to let it get? Can you can you tell me what that <laughs> what does that mean to you, and and how does that figure in your work that you're doing with people? Yeah, well, I realized, you know, on my own journey to kind of finding my own feel good, which had been lost at sea for quite a while, um, that the only real thing that was kind of keep keeping me from feeling good. And the only thing that was sort of limiting for me from, you know, achieving my dreams or living in a, in a, in a life that felt really good to me, was sort of these invisible glass ceilings that I was constantly imposing on myself with, um, you know, thoughts, you know, like the, you know, you don't deserve to have that much fun and, you know, be okay financially, or it, it would be terribly, you know, you know, there's all those beliefs that we have, like we've got to work hard. Um, life is good. It's supposed to be difficult. Um, you know, all that stuff. And so, I had read this wonderful book that I highly recommend by Gay Hendricks called the, I think it's called The Upper Limit. No, The Big Leap. It's called The Big Leap. And as I read that book and, you know, go get it. I highly recommend, you know, it just talks about these things that hold us back. And so then I kind of, as I was journaling about this, because one of the stories I talk about in the book is that um, I left my medical career for a temporary period for a sabbatical. And during that time, Ursula, I was having so much fun and loving what I was exploring. Not that every minute was easy. There were challenges too, but it was like, this is so delicious. And in my head, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I can't confess this to anybody, but I do not want to go back to the hospital and to sit at my microscope anymore. Because you were Um, a practicing pathologist at that point. You'd been through the whole medical training and residency and you were were working in a hospital. Yeah. I'd been doing it for 20 years and, you know, the long-term plan was like, keep working till you're 65. That's what our, you know, 
pay for kids college. That's how you're going to be successful. And suddenly I was faced with the scary thought that <laughs> I didn't want to go back. And so I did something crazy encouraged by, um, some life coach training that I'd been in with Martha Beck, who, you know, Martha. And it was, I just decided to ask the universe for help, which seemed at the time to me like a ridiculous idea, but I was like, universe, if, if I'm not supposed to go back to work, please give me a sign. Like, please help me out. Throw me a bone here. Cause I just don't know what to do. And about two weeks later, my husband ended up getting a raise in his pay. That was like literally almost to the dollar. What I was getting in my, that by that time I whittled myself down to two days mm -hmm. a week. So it was equivalent to his, my part-time uh, wow. salary. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. For a few days, it was like that. Or so I was like, the universe, it works. This is so great. But then as the days wore on, I was like, oh, but maybe that doesn't really mean I'm supposed to do this. And who knows if this, this raise is going to last. I mean, the doubts just started creeping in again, right? And I just realized, like, I have to just constantly ask myself this question how good am I willing to let it get? Because those doubts and those voices um, kind of never stop coming. Right. <laughs> so it's just a question that I still have to ask myself. And sometimes it's hilarious. A friend will ask me that question now, <laughs> which is marvelous because I'll go, oh my gosh, you're right. Because, you know, sometimes we get into this gloomy reverie, like I've got to go do this thing and it's going to be really hard and everybody's going to be really you know, unpleasant or whatever the story is that we're saying, you know, telling. And then to ask, well, how good am I willing to get, you know, maybe this could be fun. Maybe I could ask what I, for what I really want. Maybe I could do work that I love and get paid, you know, whatever it is that you're struggling with. So I actually don't ask a lot of my clients that question directly at first, because sometimes when, when people first start the transformation process, that idea that you're in control of your destiny or you're a big part of it is kind of terrifying and also doesn't seem possible because usually if you're suffering, um, and, and I know this just from personal experience, it seems really ludicrous to think that I have anything to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it feels so out but of I, control that you feel like I, it, it all starts to feel a bit random when things aren't going well. Absolutely right. And, and terrible things, you know, quote, terrible things do happen to us that are extremely painful and scary and frightening and, and devastating. So, and so anyway, it's, it's a good salty question. Ask somebody that's feeling fairly fantastic and pretty good. Right, right. <laughs> um, anyway, so I just like to make that, I don't know why I'm clarifying that, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it's a really very juicy question, as you said, to ask someone who's, who's kind of humming along and feeling good of, of well, because what we often do is kind of resist further improvement in a way, like we, we kind of restrict ourselves because there's, it may be fear of, of something terrible happening, whatever it is that goes on in, in the background. It's such a powerful question to allow more to unfold. Yeah, because that, that shoe dropping, you know, oh boy, things are really good right now. I better not, I better not ask right. for more. Um, I have a friend, Max Daniels, who's a coach who's fabulous and she used to have this business card. I don't know if she still has and it says, keep calm and ask for more. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Which I always thought was brilliant because it's like, 
I think that's the thing. We don't, we don't believe maybe that we're worthy a lot of times. I mean, I know I, I suffered from that and still sometimes can, you know, that we're worthy of everything sure. that we dream of or that our heart wants, yeah. you know? Well, and you've had such an interesting journey with that. I, I, um, I have a little bit of insight into that because I have a medical research background, but just going from that very, very, in my experience anyway, very left brain oriented kind of world to, I mean, I consider shamanism incredibly intuitive and, and very right brain. I think of, uh, Jill Bolte Taylor's book, A Stroke of Insight, where she basically lost left brain function and she had this amazing connection with the universe. It's all everything is love kind of experience. And, uh, so you've really gone from one extreme to the other. Do, in, do you experience it that way or has it been so organic and gradual that it doesn't feel like a, a radical shift to you? Yeah, it, well, at first it did seem really radical because, um, the concepts were kind of very foreign to me. Um, but as I've kind of wor as I've moved along looking back, I've realized that in medicine, the best diagnoses, the best care providers are, using their logic, but they're also tapping into something much deeper and wider mm -hmm. than that. You know, they are mm, tapping into the same magic, I think, that uh, that a shamanic practitioner does. So I think that that is all there. But definitely, um, I don't know that I was looking back, for example, I was thinking I would, once I got into shamanism, which is really the practice of, you know, communicating with the spirit world in order to help individuals or the community or yourself in your life. Um, and sort of sometimes that can be reading the signs and symbols and, you know, noticing what animals show up in your life, which what a concept. I was like, a wild animal could cross my path and have a message <laughs> for me. Like that seemed crazy. Like, but I was so lost at that point. I was like, that sounds crazy, but it also sounds kind of fun and kind of interesting. Let me try yeah. that. And when I tried it, um, it actually helped me tremendously. So then I kept working with it. And really, shamanism, as wacky as it may seem on the outside, at its heart is a science. <laughs> so I, what I learned was that the shaman is no different than the person sitting in the laboratory running, um, you know, running a protocol and trying to figure out, uh, you know, like who has a hypothesis and is seeing, does this work, this cure, let's say, or this, you know, whatever it is they're testing. Shamans work the same way. I mean, they maybe your your instruct your shamanic and you know teacher gives you a method and you try it because you have to try it and then see now if you get good results with it with yourself or with a client then you're gonna go ahead and use it again right. you know um you're not gonna use something that doesn't work and it's definitely this experiential experimental method um so what i've realized is and also science i think we really worship at the altar of science in our culture like science is the ultimate thing but if you stick around long enough and i'm sure you've noticed ursula stuff that maybe was gold standard truth you know this is the way it is in science is probably totally upside down now it's probably the complete opposite um for example, I was taught, you know, like never give a patient who's eating a normal diet, any kind of multivitamin, like that would be a waste of money. That would be a joke. Like 
everybody's getting plenty in the American diet. It's just fine. And now, you know, 20 years later, we realize, oh my gosh, you know, like everybody's nutrition, nutrient deficient and, you know, like vitamin D, et cetera. So, and shamanism is fluid too. Like I'm, you know, the, the methods that um, maybe somebody works, uses at the beginning of their practice towards the end of their life, maybe are completely different because it needs to shift as whatever's going on with people and with the community shifts. So, Hmm. so yeah. And I I was going to just one more little snippet is that when I was in pathology, I mean, I, I used to look back early on and think, but too bad I didn't have all this, you know, help from the spirit world back when I was working, because that would have been helpful. But then I was laughing because I realized there were times when I remember this one particular instance where I was, got called into the, to the, um, there's a kind of a special room, a suite where you go, where there's, you know, when surgery's actively in process, sometimes the surgeon will send down a specimen from a tumor, trying to figure out what kind of tumor it is that they can plan their surgery better. And when somebody, a surgeon sees something unusual, often they will send it down and we do a quick rapid diagnosis. It's called a frozen section. And often that can be kind of a big deal because you don't have a lot of time. The person's under anesthesia and you've got to make a quick diagnosis that may cause the surgeon, you know, depending on what you tell them, they may resect more of the person's brain. They may decide to remove an organ based on if you call it malignant or benign, et cetera. And I remember this these cells, it was just really odd. Like the biopsy didn't really match the location. It was kind of strange. But as I stared into the, at these cells, I remember just this voice just kind of like bubbled up inside of me of what the answer was. It was like this particular weird tumor that was very rare and odd in this location and everything. Mm. And later one of my colleagues asked me, how did you know it was that? You know, that's just so weird. And wow, what did a, you know, good diagnosis, which you don't hear very often. So you treasure those moments. <laughs> and I was like, honestly, I don't know where it came from. It just kind of bubbled up, you know, just came out of nowhere. And I mean, I would say now that was, you know, just tapping somehow into the field that knows everything, you know, yeah. and not to say that I, I operated on that level or was gifted with those kinds of information, you know, bits of information all the time. But in that moment, yeah, I was capable of something that was greater than myself, you know, because I know that I, it was not me <laughs> remembering that rare, rare, rare thing. Well, and yeah, I mean, to, to be able to recognize that, and I mean, I think we all have moments like that when we can allow it of being able to connect with something bigger. And is, is that the work, is that the essence of the work that you do with people? I mean, this podcast is about impact. So let's, let's ask about it. Let me ask about it from that perspective. Is that the impact that you think that your work has with people is allowing them to tap into that larger field or, or do you see it as something else? Well, when I do shamanic work with people, I think there's a couple of things that happen. First of all, um, the person um, ideally is deciding that they want things to be different and what they would like to be different. So when we sit down to work together, we talk about what is your intention and I help them to craft that, you know? So maybe it's that the person is like, I'm sick and tired of walking around in a fog all day and not knowing what, where I'm going and what, what my purpose is. And I want clarity. I want to understand why I'm here, for example, or, um, 
I'm ready to release this grief. I've been, you know, this grief has bubbled up from an event that happened in the past and I can feel it like it is weighing me down and I'm ready to release it and I want to step through this. So for example, so getting an intention I think is huge because our intention really drives everything. And then when we work with the spirits, basically the two of us are working and we're saying, help, please help. (laughs) And then surrendering to whatever it is the spirits suggest, you know, and often I always tell people, I'm like, we don't have to figure this out. You and I don't need to know what the answer is here, but we just need to be willing to, to be open to whatever is offered, you know, Mm. and the spirits will often, you know, give different kinds or suggest different kinds of healing. One of the most common would be um, soul retrieval, which is this concept that when we're conceived, we each have our entire soul and you might picture it like a golden ball of light. And then as we go through life, you know, even in the womb and all through our childhood and adolescence and adulthood, we have different traumatic incidences that occur and parts of our soul and you know a shaman might explain to you that parts of our soul get lost get fragmented away because in that moment of trauma or in that moment of um difficulty that soul piece uh just sort of falls away and lands wherever the trauma occurred and it doesn't have to be just trauma one thing i've learned lately is that sometimes we actually voluntarily surrender a part of ourselves in order to make something work oh, yeah. <laughs> a marriage a job so often i will get an image of um for example uh, the wedding scene somebody's wedding that happened you know 20 years ago and at the foot of the, the the bride and the groom there will be an object there a beautiful object that represents this part of them that the person laid down thinking that that was going to help them to <laughs> be harmonious with right. the other um and so which is really the last thing that will help us because <laughs> when we lose part of ourselves then we're less effective in the world and we're less able to, you know, do what we came here to do. And so sometimes these things are quite non-logical and kind of strange, you know, like, um, but then sometimes they will connect with people in a really weird way, um, that like helping them to know that, that something bigger is going on. I was just thinking of an example where I did a soul retrieval with a person who, uh, I, I don't remember, I, I won't go into the details, but the image that the spirits gave was um, a silver oak, let's just say, a beautiful kind of tree that um, represented this, this, you know, this trust in himself and this strength, this inner strength that he had lost during a previous um, traumatic incident. And then at the end of the ceremony, you know, I, I always say, hey, if, there, if you want to offer anything or if there's anything you have to say or questions, you know. And he said, you know, and he started to cry. He's like, you're not going to believe this, but I just received a gift of 100 silver oak trees oh. uh, or maple trees, whatever, whatever tree it was, as a gift from friends wow. uh, to celebrate my birthday. And it's just things like that, that you just both kind of look at each other and go, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going yeah. on, but something's happening here that's beyond it's so mysterious and and that's the part where and sometimes it doesn't come like that you know it's sometimes people are like I don't know why you know I don't understand this symbol and I don't get this and that makes no sense and I always just say to people you know all I can do is share what the spirits have told me 
Um, and sometimes more is revealed. Well, it's that amazing synchronicity of, of uh, it, it, it's not coincidence or uh, you can, you can derive right. meaning from it for sure. Yeah. Mm. Or not. I mean, or you can say, well, I'm really waiting on a real miracle. I don't know, you know, <laughs> depending on where you're right. at. Well, you, well you've, you're a writer. You've written uh, three books now, and this latest one, Swimming with Elephants, is coming out on October 1st. Tell, tell me yes. what is behind, what was behind your writing of that book and, and why you felt moved to put it out into the world. Yeah. So the, the story kind of tells the tale of me um, finally saying yes to my hero's journey and having the courage to uh, to face that 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 request that had been made of me years ago. When I looked back on my life, I realized I'd kind of refused that hero's journey call back in my 20s when I was in medical school. And when I finally said yes to it in my 40s, how transformative and amazing that journey was. And, and it, and it was difficult and challenging, but in the end, so worth it. And I think I wrote the book hoping to help people maybe relieve them a little bit with a little bit of laughter. <laughs> the stories <laughs> I tell in there, some of the stuff that happens when you're on your hero's journey is like, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Cause some of it's just so, um, crazy and challenging. Well, you um, have a wonderful sense of humor. So it really comes out in the book. Well, I'm glad because <laughs> I was like, I hope that was my hope that it would help people to laugh and also to encourage them to say yes to those weird longings. Like when I was on this sabbatical, I mean, these strange, like the whole animal totem thing, when I first stumbled into that idea that animals, wild animals might have messages, there was a part of me that was like, this is crazy. And you are going to be like, people are going to think you're bananas, you know, and I certainly wasn't telling anybody at the, at the hospital, you know, what I was <laughs> exploring. Cause it just felt like, Oh my gosh, the, like the bridge between that world and this world is just too, too far. And people are going to think I'm a nutcase. Um, and so, but if I, when I did follow it, it was so wonderful and so much fun and so many doors just like flew open the minute I said, yes, I, I'm going to let myself like explore this and I'm going to give myself permission to, um, you know, just follow this, what I like to call, you know, follow your feel good is my website. Cause it's like, whatever feels good to you, it sounds crazy, but follow that. And I think in our culture, we're so trained or at least I was to, um, really set aside any emotions and try to just like hammer through life. And that was of course a wonderful thing to get you through medical school or to get you through when you have small babies and, 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 and children, cause you're not getting sleep and you do have a lot of stuff you just better get done. <laughs> but, um, at a certain point, I think, yeah, there are things that, that call to us. And if we keep turning away from them, you know, we're really, we're not living anymore. Well, and you really, but really share that in your book that you, uh, the more you went, you, the more you, more you moved towards that, the more amazing your life felt and, and the better you were able to be present to what was happening in your life. Yes, absolutely. It was like, um, yeah, as I kept asking that question, like, how good am I willing to let it get? Okay. I could give myself a sabbatical. Okay. Now 
How good could I, you know, could I quit my job and allow myself to write this book? Could I pay somebody to help me edit this book, even though that seems evil that I would use money to like help me with this selfish concern of writing a book? I mean, all these thoughts that come up and a lot of my clients struggle with those things too. Like we worry that what we want, if we pursue that somehow it will hurt somebody else. And what I want you to know is, um, I mean, you have to find a feel good way to do it for yourself, but if you pursue what makes you feel good and what, you know, pursue your dreams, really what it does is it gives everybody permission, your children, your friends, your, well, I would say even your enemies, if you have any, um, you know, permission to do that too. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a, one of those false fears that just holds us back. Like if I pursue my dreams, something terrible is going to happen or somebody's going to get hurt. Well, and it's true. It is inspiring when you see another person pursue their dreams. Then it, it's like it gives you permission to do the same. It's like I, something that yeah. may have been holding you back. You can then look at it and say, yeah, I would like to do that too. And this person did it, which is wonderful that you share in your story. So one, one of the things I was so intrigued by the title, I have a very strong affinity to elephants. And as you know, we, you and I have both been to South Africa and uh, experienced them in the wild. And I, I, it's such a strong connection that I have to them. So at that, the thread of the, the animal totems and the um, animals, giving you some wisdom is a thread that goes throughout the book as well. You also talk about bears, which is another, I have them wandering around outside my window occasionally. So um, it's pretty amazing to, to see how that has enriched your experience and given you wisdom as well. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the brilliant things about the animals is that they will give you permission to be who you really are. Um, I'll give an example from a, um, we we had, a, I had a podcast with a fellow coach when I first started exploring animal totems and, um, somebody was on the, on the call and we were talking about, you know, finding your, your special spirit animal, like your, I like to call them a core beastie, like your number, you know, your lifetime animal. Cause we'll all have lots of animals cross our path, but most of us will have a single, at least one animal that's very significant um, for us in our life, or at least that's what we say in shamanism. And they're there to sort of guard you, protect you, inspire you um, with their ways. And um, somebody was on the call and she was saying, well, I think that my, my core beastie might be bear, but I saw a movie once and I did not like how that bear was acting. And so we were like, well, say more about that. And, um, she said, well, the, what happened was the mother bear was basically the, the young, her two cubs were at the point where they were ready to be independent and she had, you know, taught them and it was time. So she, time for her to leave and go off and do her own thing. So she chased the bears, the cubs up this tree and she did it with like great ferocity. Like you guys stay up there and do not come back. I'm going to, you know, and I'm going, see ya. Um, and this mom who was on the phone call was like, well, that just seems so heartless and so terrible, you know, and my friend Tammy, who's the other coach said, you know, but it, for her, it was really all about feeling like her current kids weren't ready to be independent. And why would you do that in her real life? Mm. But as I listened to that, I was like, wow, I just got this big kind of hit that for me, 
bears were such a wonderful role model because as mothers, they demand that their children be independent because bears are, you know, once they grow up, they have to fish for themselves. They have to do everything for Mm -hmm. themselves. They don't live with partners or in community. And I I had this strong desire for my children to be independent. (laughs) So it kind of gave me that, like, it's okay to be a bear like that. And other parents parent differently. You know, if you, you have a lion that you work with, you may be much more indulgent of your kids um, and and how how much independence they have. And that's okay, too. You know, we all have our own medicine, our own way, you know, and just accepting ourselves and what we uh, the way we need to be is um, is the best. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I yeah, I appreciate you sharing that because it's it's interesting how that gave you insight or or insight with your client on uh on what something they're they were dealing with and what you're dealing with too in your life yeah Yeah. and she yeah yeah exactly so (laughs) (laughs) well i'm 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 gonna switch gears a little bit and just uh kind of look at the the sort of what's backstage of the work that you're doing because you're doing this coaching and shaman work with clients and at the same time you're operating a business so there are the practical things involved if from that perspective, like marketing and accounting. And um, <laughs> <laughs> so how, how do you manage that in terms of the use of your time and energy? Is that something you can flip back and forth between? Do you hire people to do those aspects? How does that work for you? Yeah, I have tried many things. I had an assistant for a while and that was really good because she got me set up with some systems because being a super creative, um, you know, very, I can be organized, but I I do better if somebody creates a system, I can work on this, you know, work within the Mm -hmm. system. So that's really why I thrived in my job. You know, the systems were all there and I just had to plug in. Um, but after a while it became really, um, shackles on for me, or it felt very unfreeing. Like I did not want to have somebody that I had to report to and tell them what to do. And, you know, I, I felt like I just didn't have enough work to give them because I was so busy writing. And then just in the other time that I had working with my clients. So eventually I jettisoned having a personal assistant. Um, what I've found is that, yeah, I really, I resist, um, I resist, sort of formal sort of business procedures. And I do best if I just let myself sort of flow and intuitively do what feels good to me. So for example, marketing, I mean, I, I've tried many different things and I just kind of try to do it energetically. Like, does it feel good to promote this post and spend $10 or whatever, you know, on Facebook or whatever it is. And if it does, then I do it. And I've also done the you know, the opposite where it's not really feeling good, but I do it anyway. And, you know, you just sort of learn that, okay, this is, you know, this isn't really helpful. And then I find that, you know, the more I trust that the money is there to hire people to help, um, the better things are. Um, for example, I just hired somebody to help me, uh, with a book launch, um, just kind of organizing that because every time I sat down to do it myself, it was like, I felt so alone and freaked out and overwhelmed and, oh my gosh, it was so wonderful because within two days she had whipped up this amazing like system and program and kind of helped me take all that burden off myself. So I find that 
the more I just don't worry about the linear logical concept of money <laughs> because um, that's not how my business has really worked. Um, in fact, I wrote this article about success because I was laughing because I think people sometimes have this perception of me um, from the outside that I'm some super successful coach slash healer person. Um, and when I say successful in our culture, I mean, makes a lot of money, mm -hmm. right? Because I mean, that's yeah. typically the standard by which everybody you knows a six figure coach right. are you whatever and I was just always I, I was giggling and then sometimes I felt kind of almost disingenuous or you know fraudulent because I'm like well I don't want you to think that about me because you know come on over and I'll show you my books you know things aren't really super profitable um and in fact I don't think I really made a profit until like four years in and it was very slim but when I measure my success, I measure it from a standpoint of, you know, how beautiful does my life feel? How much joy do I get from working? And when I drive away from my office, I mean, some days, Ursula, it is just like, I'm in a state of ecstatic joy because I cannot believe like how incredible the world is and how I get to do this work I get to do. And so I've really had to just sort of release all that, all that societal success stuff, you know, and meanwhile, you know, it has also helped me to retrain myself. And so it has all the money that's been generated, you know, has gone towards training and travel and it sort of has helped fund me, you know, for mm -hmm. sure. And we all have different financial situations. Uh, but I don't know where this is all going, but I say like, I think I feel I do better with all that business stuff if I just do it by feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If, um, Certainly, I've heard many people say that if you can be in this space of doing marketing, for example, that feels good to you, as opposed to following a formula that feels very mechanical and and doesn't have mm -hmm. doesn't have the joy in it that you talked about. I mean, what a great definition of success is! How much joy mm -hmm. am I feeling? How beautiful does life feel? That's a yeah. that's a great measure. As long as you know, as long as um, expenses are paid and, and right. Uh, right as long as the, the rents get yeah paid. exactly yeah well how do you deal with obstacles and, or challenges that come up is there a way that you incorporate your shamanic practice in that or do you take a more kind of linear oh, yeah. approach how do you how do you deal with those so, i do both but i'm usually the best thing is ursula is just go right to the spirits right. <laughs> So I talked in the book about, yeah, Alice the Elephant, who is my um, most wonderful spirit helper. And I mean, I go to different spirits for different things to ask for help. Um, but often they have all the answers, you know, what I need to hear, what I need to know. So if if I'm, you know, struggling with something, whether it be a personal issue, whether it be something with the business, like I remember asking um for example, the first time I decided I was going to rent an office because working at home was getting to be kind of crazy. The dogs barking and trying to keep the bathroom <laughs> clean and, you know, trying to find a time when everybody was not there. I mean, it was just brutal. And I knew I wanted to see more people. So I was like, okay, I'm going to rent an office. But that scared me because I was like $400 a month in rent, which is, I know sounds probably pathetic if you're from San Francisco listening <laughs> right now, but in Duluth, Minnesota, that's a lot of dollars. That's significant. And I remember being scared, like, is this irresponsible? And I journeyed and I asked um, for help and and Alice was just like, it's going to be so blessed. We're, we've already like, we're going to clear out all the energy in there. And, and I'm like, well, how am I going to, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to pay the rent? And they're like, 
they like, just start telling everybody who it spontaneously comes up in conversation what you do. And I was like, okay. And before that, I really had never like foisted too much, didn't do too much of that. But like, you know, somebody would go, Oh, I've been really down about blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, well, you know, and just kind of quickly just say, well, I do this work, whatever. And sure enough, you know, as soon as I got into the office, it's like people started coming. And then one of the people in the same building started referring so many people to me that she just weren't, weren't the people that she could care for in her practice. Mm -hmm. And so that, I mean, the spirits are very pragmatic and practical. Uh, working with the spirits is pragmatic and practical. They aren't always. <laughs> so sometimes they may give you advice that you may not be ready or willing to, and that's okay too. You know, they, they, you can, you know, it's, it's free will. You can decide what you want to do, but I, that's what I think. So what has given me the courage to do a lot of hard things, a lot of scary things is every time I go, to ask, you know, how can I do this? What should I do? You know, they encourage me or show me ways that I can do this or why I should just, uh, ignore something and move on. <laughs> you know, that too, like sometimes it's just to avoid certain, you know, particular situations. Um, yeah. So spirits as wacky as that all sounds, I, that's why I really encourage people if it sounds fun to them to seek out a spirit animal, um, because, uh, they're wise. <laughs> well, and being able to have that inner imagery, you can call it up any time. I've, I've done that myself and it's so accessible. Uh, listening to it is a whole other thing, but <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Well, if, if yeah. you had a, a piece of advice or an insight that you would share with, with business owners, entrepreneurs that are, are looking at this question of how can I, how can I make a positive difference in people's lives? How can I have impact? What would you say to them? I would say don't wait for somebody to offer you an opportunity or to invite you or to get the writing contract or whatever it is you've been waiting for. Find a way with what you've got in your current situation, with your current finances, with without moving to Las Vegas to <laughs> – unless you want to move to Las Vegas to create that, which your heart desires, you know? Um, because when you do that, it will draw, you know, everything that you need to you. Um, and it may not be easy, but it will be worth it. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's a very profound learning that I know you've lived personally. So, um, you're not, you're not talking about some, um, distant advice. This is really coming from the, the heart and from something you've gone through yourself. Yeah. Well, um, Sarah, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your story and the work that you do in the world. I'm, uh, I'm so fascinated to hear about how you're working with people in this, in this way and, and really bringing forward their dreams and helping them to to realize them it's powerful work so i uh thank you so much for sharing that with us today thank you so much ursula for having me it's been a joy well, i have so enjoyed it too and if people want to get in touch with you what's the best way for them to reach you 
Well, you can go to my website, followyourfeelgood.com, and you can connect with me there, send me a message, and there's lots of content and videos, and there's a free uh, download where I do a drumming for you for to help you find your spirit animals. So oh, that's there, that's too, awesome. if you subscribe, I believe, is how that works. But yeah, <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you, and thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Thank you, Ursula. So join us for more podcasts on impact. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast channel on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll be notified as soon as new podcasts are available. Thank you to everyone listening for being here. Until next time, to keep that positive flow of energy going in your business so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by entering your name and email at workalchemy.com.